Well, good morning, Summit Crossing. It is a good day to be here, and it's an exciting day uh, to be here. Certainly an exciting day uh, for us. It's been uh, a lot of logistics uh, to, to get you here, Bill. Um, a lot of logistics all the way back to November. I think our first conversations were in late November, and it's been a, a journey uh, since then, and it was a journey this last week, as a matter of fact, uh, just to get uh, Bill and his family and his stuff here. And so uh, we're excited to have you uh, this morning, Bill, and your family. Uh, I think you're still in the back, Mindy and his sons, Luke and Levi. Yeah, they're all back there still. Uh, it's, a, it's a joy to have the Mogzigs finally here among us and initiating and beginning uh, your ministry alongside uh, us as elders here at Summit Crossing. Um, so what we'd like to do this morning is before you preach your, uh, I guess, second sermon uh, <laughs> here at Summit. So uh, before you do that, I'd like for uh, us as elders just, just to be able to gather around you and pray together. Father, we are... Um, overjoyed uh, by your goodness and your grace uh, to us, your church. We know that uh, in Ephesians, uh, you inspired Paul to write that you would give good gifts uh, to your church, that you would give pastors, teachers, and we're thankful, Father, this morning that you have, by your good grace, gifted to us um, Bill Mogzig and his family and a body of elders uh, to come alongside him and to work together in ministry. And so this morning, I pray that you will bless the ministry of Bill Mogzig among us, uh, bless uh, his work uh, among your sheep and your, she your, your church uh, here at Summit. And God, I, I also pray that you would just genuinely bless our relationships together as elders, that you would increase our friendship, and certainly, Father, that you would bind our hearts together in ministry uh, under the leadership of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray these things for the sake of your church here at Summit, certainly for the sake of your name uh, in this community, um, and Father, for the sake of our joy uh, in experiencing you together alongside one another. We pray in Christ's name together. And Father, we do, uh, we just praise you. I mean, this is a time of celebration, that you're your priesthood, that you're called out people, your your Hakodesh, that your your church, um, Father, that there's not one lacking because the Moxics, um not only heard your call, were obedient to come. Uh, so, Father, we, we we pray that those relationships, as they have raised up leaders um, in every city that they have been in, uh, that you continue to be with them and grow them and and comfort them uh, at times. Um, that we pray those same things here as well as as he starts his ministry here. Um, among us as we co-labor, we, we, we praise you for that. We praise you more that Jesus is our lead elder. Um, as, as Bill steps into the lead pastor of teaching and vision, um, Father, we thank you for his family. pray that you would bless them um, in the schools as they start to, to experience new things um, in new places. We pray that you would bring gospel-centered friendships around, around each and every one of them, um, that this, this time would be one of anticipation and looking forward um, and really one of just relaxing and, and listening um, to where you would take this body of believers um, in this city, uh, in, in this county, uh, Father, in this country, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Uh, so we thank you for this time. We thank you that you're bigger than tropical depressions and the lack of rental trucks and all the other hurdles that 
or overcome. Um, so let them be here now, um, throw down some roots, and rest in you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, how you doing? It's good to see everybody. Thanks for you know, sharing your 4th of July with us uh, this morning in person. I was told there's a stream going on, so if you're on the interwebs with us, thanks for uh, being with us too on the 4th of July. And thanks for welcoming us into um, Athens and into this church family. We were supposed to be here like a little over a week ago, and we're you know just getting in town this week finally. And God just kind of finally decided to let the rain cease so that we could load our stuff into the only things we could find to move, which were like U-Haul pods and stuff. And it, I mean, I was thinking the other day, it's literally harder for you to find a U-Haul truck than it is to find a PlayStation 5 right now. Like that's how difficult the logistics have been the last couple of weeks. And we're here, we're excited um, to be here. Now, um, I'm going to meet a lot of y'all today if I haven't met you already. And I'll tell you what I told the nine o'clock group is we're leaving to go out of town as soon as we're done with this today. And so we're going to be gone for like three weeks. So if I have a conversation with you and you think it went well, but then you're like, they're gone, it wasn't you. Like, yeah, that's not why we're leaving. We're going to go hang out with our family. We haven't seen them a lot during COVID. So we're going to go hang out with family. And then Mindy and I have a retreat to go to. And so we're just going to kind of get some of that vacation in before we come back at the end of, of July, and then we're going to settle in. Um, we don't really know where we're going to live yet because that's the other thing. There's no houses available in the country, and so uh, we've been looking kind of all over, and we're building a house. Uh, it's not quite done yet, um, and so we're going to live in a van down by the river for about six weeks when we get back. But we will be here when we get back, and I will talk to you again, and I'll tell you, hey, I told you it wasn't you. It's, it's all good, and so we're, we're excited to be here. Uh, you know, what do you do on a first day like we're doing right now you know I mean there's I you know there's someone said earlier there must be a lot of pressure on you and I was like I think I'm old enough now and I'm certainly tired enough in my life that I just don't care and so like this is what I got this for you today this is what we're going to do and so I'm going to I'm going to talk to you about the arrival of optimism today that's what we're going to talk about today and and I'll and I'll tip my hand Um, I am not the arrival of optimism here so that's not what this is going to be about at all so, so don't hear me saying that. In fact, uh, one of my big goals today is to lower your expectations on me as quickly as I possibly can. And so as you'll see as we get going, it won't be too hard to do that. And so uh, why don't we start out, I'll just tell you a little bit about ourselves and then we'll talk a little bit more about what I think we need to hear right now as a church. And so if you're new in the room today checking out uh, Summit Crossing maybe for the first time or even coming back into the church for the first time in a long time and you feel like you're a new person, hey, I am too. And so like, I'm glad you're here. Uh, maybe we can meet afterwards and comfort each other. It'll be great. We'll, we'll, we'll talk some more about life. But we are grateful if you are here and, and you're not part of this church. We're, we're, we're thankful that you're here. I'm going to talk to like the church family here at Summit Crossing today, but I actually think that it's good that you're here to hear a little bit behind the scenes, what's going on, and just a lot of the transition that we're hopefully um, going through right now together as a church. And, and I hope what I had to say today uh, will help you seek out and, and think more deeply about who Jesus is, what he's done, and um, hopefully if you don't believe in him yet, that by the time we're done this morning you will believe in him. And so I'll just kind of tip my hand, give you all no smoke and mirrors. haven't gotten them installed yet since I got here. And so uh, no smoke and mirrors for you. That's what I'm going to be all about up here today. But I do want to tell you a little bit about us. Um, my name's Bill, so 
hi, it's nice to meet you. Uh, and my wife, Mindy, and my sons, Luke and Levi, are back there too. Luke's going to be in eighth grade. Levi's going to be in sixth grade. Uh, we're coming from New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, which is a little tiny town down in uh, southern Louisiana. And we're, we've been down there for about the last eight years uh, doing some ministry in a part of the city that's not a real easy place to do ministry. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of urban blight around there. There was just, there's a lot of stuff going on. And we've been able to go in there. And what we did was we took on a church that had been around since the 70s, Berean Bible Church, and we revitalized it. We brought some new life into it over the last eight years, and we loved it. We had an awesome opportunity to just invest in those people down there. And so now we're in Athens, Alabama, which is the typical route that, you know, route that most people take in their lives. They go you know, from New Orleans to, to Athens. And so uh, I've been asked a lot, like, why in the world are you here? Like, how did you, did you spin a globe or something? Like, did it just land here? And, and it's not that, man. This is an exciting place to live. It's an, exciting, it's an exciting time to be in this region in our country. And so you need to know that as we come in, uh, we, we understand that we, haven't, we weren't born and raised here. We don't know a, a thing about Athens yet. We're getting to know people. We're getting to know culture. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we are excited about what not only is God doing in this region, but really what he's doing in this church. And so I do know the guys, um, a lot of the guys who are over at the Madison um, location of Summit Crossing. And so we've done ministry together for years and, and just getting a chance to talk to them. It, it, it's kind of where we started praying about, is this where God wants us next? And so I just, I just want to say thanks for welcoming us. Um, so many of y'all have been so, so kind to us and um, we're from the big city and so we don't trust you yet. So <laughs> thanks for, but the more you feed us, the more we'll be like, cool, let's do this. You know, let's... Uh, Let's, let's see. I'm always like, why are you so friendly? <laughs> so, what do you want from me? So uh, that's, it's been great. And, uh, and so that part of it's been really good. I told you I, I want to kind of lower the, the, the expectations on, on who I am. And, and, and uh, we all have expectations about, about a pastor, right? Like y'all have expectations about a next pastor at a church, you know? There's almost like this pedestal that you put pastors on. And we know, like, intrinsically, we shouldn't put them up on the pedestal. Like, we know that Jesus is our lead pastor. And if you're in the church, you kind of know that there's, you shouldn't worship, like, one position in the church. We should worship Jesus. But there's also expectations, right? It's okay to have expectations about who a pastor is. And, and a lot of times, I kind of think about it like this. Like, we used, to, we used to live in Los Angeles before we had kids, and we were planting churches in Los Angeles. And if you were to go Google me on, on the, you'd have to come, come ask me how to spell my last name, and I'll tell you. And, and if you were to go Google me on, online, you'd, you'd see my Facebook profile. You might see some pictures of me down in New Orleans. And then you'll, you'll come across um, my IMDb profile. And if you know anything about IMDb, that's the Internet Movie Database uh, uh, profile. It tells you every movie that's ever been made, everybody that's worked on every movie that's ever been made. And I had this amazing professional career in making movies where I was a grip on two different movies while we lived in Los Angeles. Now, when I took the first job, right, I didn't even know what a grip was. My friend called me. He's like, hey, come with me. I'm going to take you. We're going to make a movie. You're going to be a grip. And I later found out the grips had this really important job where they set up the lighting and so you go on these sets and you set up the lighting like the rigs and like, like in the big movies, they'll be hanging from the rafters, setting up all these lights and everything like that. And so I'm all excited. I'm like, a grip. I could be a grip. I'm planting churches. And so on the side, I'll, I'll, I'll grip. That's what I'll do. And, and so we get in the car and we go to the first one. And I said to my buddy, I said, hey, are we going to some studio somewhere? Like, where are we? Are we driving up into the hills, like into the big studios? He's like, nah, man, we're going, 
going to this dude's apartment. And so we go over to this guy's apartment, right? And it's a one-bedroom, junky apartment like you find all over Los Angeles. My entire job on that movie was I took one light stand and I set it in this guy's bathtub in his one in his one bathroom in his tiny little apartment, put that there. I walked out. I sat down in the middle of a couch with two sweaty guys sitting on both sides of me. We sat there all day long, and they handed me 50 bucks at the end of the day. And as it went, the, the, the movie got made. Um, you can go look on my IMDb profile. It's called Beer Friday. It was an amazing, amazing cinematic experience if you ever get a chance to see it. I haven't seen it yet, so don't hold me. Don't hold me responsible for any part of that amazing experience. And so because I'm a little gullible and I like my friend, uh, he said, let's do another one. And so we did um, Stay the Course. Now, you can see I went from Beer Friday to Stay the Course because I like to keep it classy. And so we went to Stay the Course next. And my job on that one was to haul all this stuff up onto this roof. And we were setting up all these shots for this epic shot up on the roof of this building in the middle of downtown LA. It took us like six hours to haul all this stuff upstairs. We get up on the roof, it gets all set up there, about to hit record, and the cops come up there and they say, you can't record up here, you don't have, you don't ha- have a permit to record up there. And I thought to myself, and I, I thought it was a pretty fair guy, I thought you probably ought to know that, like before you put six hours of work into getting all this stuff up there. So we had to pack it all up. We didn't even get the shot. We went downstairs, and so they had to play, you know, plan B. And so the next day, we go into this really seedy part of Hollywood. Now, I don't know what you know about Hollywood. You've seen the sign. Everybody has a picture of Hollywood, this glamorous, amazing place where the most magical movie experiences are created in the world. Well, I'm down there at about 12 o'clock. It's the most seedy place I've ever seen in my life, and I've lived in New Orleans. And so, like, it's the most seedy place I've ever seen. I mean, and, and I've got this rigged truck that's worth about $250,000 worth of, 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 you know, equipment. And the guy that was in charge of the grips, he's called a gaffer, I later found out. And he, he wore a, 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 a T-shirt that said, gaff, um, God is my gaffer, which I thought was cool. But he said, your job today on this movie, Bill, is you're going to guard the truck. It's about 12 o'clock at night. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So what do I do? And he, and he hands me a machete. And he says, here's the thing. If someone comes and says, I want the truck, you show them the machete. And if they say, I still want the truck, you give them the truck. And so there I am in the middle of glamorous Hollywood um, on the set of Stay the Course, sitting on the back of a truck, and some homeless guy is on an old mattress snoring over right in front of me. I mean, it's dark, and I'm sitting on the back just holding a machete going, this is not all that glamorous. <laughs> like, Hollywood is not what I thought it was going to be. In fact, it, it, it was letting me down pretty significantly, you know? And, and I, I tell you that story because um, in some ways, I'm your Hollywood this morning, right? So um, not that big-minded, but I just want to, like, let you know that when you get to know the real Hollywood, it maybe isn't quite as glamorous and quite as uh, impressive as you might have conjured up in your mind. And so just understand with me that one of my big jobs in the position that I hold is to remind you that we're all the church, and every one of you. If you're part of this church family, you are the church, I'm the church, I play a role here, you play a role here, equally important. And so I'm, I'm happy to let you down pretty quickly uh, it, because here's what we do know is that uh, the gospel transcends it all. So people are like, how can you go from Los Angeles to New Orleans to Athens, Alabama? Like, how in the world can you make that jump? It might be because the gospel transcends it all. 
Like it doesn't matter if you're in Los Angeles and, and guarding a truck with a machete or you're down in New Orleans. I'll tell you stories about New Orleans down the road. I've got some. But like you're down in New Orleans or you're living in Athens, Alabama of all places. The gospel transcends it all. And what is, what is the gospel? You know, it's the arrival of optimism. If nothing else, that's what I want you to think about today with me. As we kind of start into whatever this next season is for our lives. For whatever reason, God in his sovereignty has decided that our paths are now intersecting with one another. And, and, and so in this next season, as we think about this next season this morning, I just want you, I just want you to stop for a second and chew on that word optimism. Because I think with the advent of the gospel, optimism, true optimism has arrived. Which is a word that we all want, right? I mean, everybody loves optimism. I mean, we, I, I love the word optimism. I want to be optimistic, but we're all very scared of it too. So what happens is probably the younger you are, the easier your life has been. Optimism is the air that you breathe. But as you get older and life starts to kick in, right, you become more and more cynical. You begin to see more and more stuff in the world. And by, by the time you get older, a lot of people are at the point where they're like, optimism, yeah, okay, puppy, up there on the stage. Keep talking about optimism. I know how the world r- really works. And so what I want to encourage you is that optimism for us is something that not only is, um, is promised in the Scripture, but it's something that is very real in the room right now. It's arrived, and it hasn't arrived because I showed up. It's arrived because the Holy Spirit is in this place, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So open up to Acts chapter 2, a passage I hope that you're familiar with if you're part of the church. If you're not part of the church, that's okay. I didn't know the Bible for a very long time. I'm still learning it. So it's a safe place for you to start chewing on some of this stuff with us. But if you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 2. I'll start reading in verse 1. And I want to show you the arrival of optimism. It's a passage I hope you're familiar with. But here's what it says. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Verse 2, and Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Look at verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is a really cool story, right? If you, if you grew up around the Bible, you've heard this story a lot. It's kind of the advent, the beginning of the church. It's the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And so the, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes over to the disciples. They've, been, they've, been, uh, they've seen Jesus raised from the dead. Now they're, they're, they're huddled together. He, Jesus has ascended up into heaven. They're huddled together in Jerusalem going, all right, what do we do next? Like that doesn't happen every day. What comes next? And they're waiting. And the Holy Spirit comes and like a rushing wind comes over them and drops on them like fire coming down on them, and they're instantly changed. And they go outside, and God has already blessed them with every gift they need to share the gospel with anyone that's out there. So they go out, and all of the people out there are, like, amazed by it. They don't quite know what to do with it. Some of them are like, they're speaking some truth. Other people are like, no, no, they're not. It's early, and they're drunk. And that's what's going on. And I don't know if you read it. You can go read it. It's in in there. And Peter's like, they're not drunk. Uh, It's not New Orleans. Like, it's, 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 they're, they're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's something new that's come. It's the arrival of something. And for these people who had seen so much pain, so much suffering when they watched Jesus go up onto the cross, they were already facing persecution in their own lives. These people from that moment on are marked more by joy 
than they are by, by really any other thing. They're, they're not worried anymore. In fact, as opposition comes up in their lives, as suffering comes up in their life, as persecution comes up in their life, they're still marked by joy. Something had come over them. Optimism had taken over because the very presence of God was now with them. And now here's the cool thing about that. When you think about the gospel, we are a gospel-centered church. I'm not here because I'm a preacher. I'm here because I'm a child of God. I'm not here because I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up on stage and talk out of a face mic. I'm here because of the gospel. It's everything to us. But what is the gospel? The end game of the gospel is that you get God. That's, that's the good news. Now, there's a lot of theology. We'll wrestle with it every single week that I'm up here with you. We'll, we'll, we'll try to understand it in any possible way we can. But at the end of the day, make no mistake, the good news of the gospel is you get God. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, the very presence of God is now with people. That, that's good news. Everything that you've been searching for is now yours. Now, there's a, there's a not yet aspect of God's kingdom that is still to come. But make no mistake, the kingdom has arrived. And with that kingdom, God's very presence is in this place right now. You get God. The God of the universe. So look, if you have God, optimism can mark your life. If you have God, joy can begin to define you more than any other thing. If you have God, if you literally get him, then everything your soul has been searching for, everything that you've been chasing all of your life is now yours. If that God is a good God. Right? I mean, so, so when we think about optimism for just a second, a lot of people in the church will say, we shouldn't be optimistic. Like, like it's a it's a fallen, broken, sinful world, so don't don't like tell people to like be optimistic because you'll just ignore people's suffering and the pain that they're going through. In fact, I was listening to a, a prominent prominent um, evangelical voice that was uh, several years ago on on one of the big news channels. He was getting interviewed. I won't tell you who he was, but he was getting interviewed that night, and they said, "Are you basically an optimist?" To him, and he said, "No." Didn't even hesitate. No, I'm basically a pessimist. I think the world's going to get a lot worse. And I thought to myself, watching that, like, okay, I understand. Sinful, broken world. Like, put your faith in Jesus, you're still going to suffer. There's still going to be pain. Like, you walked into the room today, and there's things going on in your life that, that are painful. There, there, there's suffering that you're facing. There are fears that you're dealing with. There is shame and guilt, maybe, that you're wrestling through. So, like, I don't, I don't minimize the reality of that. But make no mistake, the one that has promised to solve all of that in your life has already come and is in this place dwelling inside of you if you put your faith in Jesus. And so all these fears, all this shame, all this stuff that we wrestle with that causes us to become cynical as we age, causes us to become pessimistic as we look at what God's called us to do in this world, like all that starts to settle in, we got to turn back and go, hold up. Hold up, we out of, out of everyone ought to be marked by optimism, hope. Hope that this very good news of God is like alive with us. He's here, he's, he, he's, he's in our midst. So, so what we do know is that that's kind of what's happening in Acts. But, but here's the deal, most people when they think about all of this, uh, they, they look at it and they go, yeah, but here's my, my deal, is that my view of God is pretty, pretty skewed. Like, I'm, I'm sinful, I don't necessarily understand how God works, and so I'm thinking about God, and I don't know that I really want him, 
Because after all, when you look at this, what descended on these people was fire. Literally fire. And one of the fears of a lot of people is that if I ever really get close to God, like he's a God of consuming fire. And so I don't know that I want that kind of God. And rightfully so, right? He's perfectly just. He's perfectly holy. He's not sinful. He created the heavens and the earth. He created you and me. We are image bearers of him. And so he has every right to be a God of consuming fire whenever sinfulness comes around his holiness. So when you see that the the tongues of fire fell on the disciples, immediately that's not good news for most people. This is why so many people, if they grew up in the church and they went through the rituals and they followed all the rules and they said all the right things and they dressed the right way and they acted the right way, but they never knew the gospel, they always will hold God kind of at arm's length going, okay, I just want to do just enough to keep that fire away from me so that you don't consume me. And if I do the right thing, like you and me, we can kind of get along, but I just want to make sure I don't step too far into your fire by like disobeying you. So you have all these people, their entire relationship with God is transactionary. If I do what you ask me to do, God, then you will accept me and you, you won't drop that fire on me. And so that's their whole relationship. And then you have other people, maybe you can relate a little bit to me, where you didn't really know that kind of life growing up. Instead, what you've done is you've danced around God your whole life going, okay, I just don't want to I don't want to really deal with you because if I do give my life over to you, I'm going to have to change so much of my life out here that, that I just want to stay in control of my own life, do whatever I want to do, like, like live my own life. I know better than you on how to give myself joy. And so people like hold God at arm's length because he is a God of fire here. And so here's the thing that you got to understand is that before it can be good news that causes you to be an optimistic, joyful, hopeful person, before any of this about the Holy Spirit descending on them like fire can be good news, you're going to have to deal with that reality that your relationship with God is, the end of the day, um, not a good one until that fire has been dealt with. Like he can drop that wrath on, on those who have betrayed him through their sinfulness at any given time. So how does this become good news? And I'll just say it this way today. And we're not going to teach a seminary course on any of this today. You know, we can chew more on it if you want. But what I'd say is before the, before the Holy Spirit descending like fire can be good news to you, you need to understand that the Holy Spirit descended another time in the Scriptures. Only when the Holy Spirit descended prior to this, he didn't descend as tongues of fire, he descended as a dove. You know, what, what was a dove? A dove was a symbol of peace. A dove was a symbol of humility. And if y'all know your Bible, you know that when the Holy Spirit descended the first time, he descended onto Jesus. In fact, you can read about it if you, if you flip over to Luke chapter 3. I don't know if we have this one up on the screen or not, but let's look at chapter 3. Starting in verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, a voice, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. See, this is the beauty of it is that when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. He didn't descend as a, a raging, consuming fire. He came down as a dove, in this bodily form as a dove. And what was God saying at that point? We're saying a couple of things. He's first saying what Jesus was going to do. What, what, was Je- what did Jesus come to do for you and me? He came to make peace between us and God. 
between the sinner and the God of the universe, the holy God of the universe, so that when Jesus goes on the cross, it, this, is just, this is basic gospel knowledge, right? When Jesus goes on the cross, he doesn't just die for our sins. By dying for our sins, he actually gives us his track record of holiness, and so, like, what happens is this exchange. Jesus takes on our sins. We get his holiness. And so by doing that, Jesus makes peace between us and God. He takes on the wrath that we deserved so we could have the life with God that he deserved. Now, that's a, a, a dove that makes peace. But the dove also represents humility, how he went about doing that. You see, Jesus didn't go up on the cross as this conquering warrior where he was just like taken over and beating his chest and being like, crucify me, let's do this, right? He was gentle the entire time. He literally slayed the, he, he slayed the dragon, Satan himself, through humility, through giving up his life, through laying his life down. I mean, Jonathan Edwards once said Jesus took the cross and it, literally the, the very weapon of the enemy and turned it on him and slayed the enemy with his very weapon. Like Jesus was so, so gentle and so meek and so humble that he showed us that the only way to really save, to be saved, wasn't for him to come and conquer anything. It was for him to come and lay down his life for us. And so this dove that comes and offers you peace and does it through humility, when you receive him, then you can turn back to the second time this Holy Spirit descends, and you can begin to see that consuming fire through a whole new lens now. You can begin to say, that's a consuming fire that isn't going to end me, because it's no longer God's wrath in that fire. God's wrath's already been poured out on Jesus. There's a different kind of presence in that fire that's descending on us in the Holy Spirit. It's a consuming fire, but it's a fire that ultimately consumes your heart so that you are, in the end, amazed and in awe with God himself. After all, look at everything that he's done for you. It's a consuming fire that rages inside of you and begins to burn and make you more and more passionate about God the more you live life. It's a, it's a fire that begins to replace the affections of your soul with the very glory of God. Like, like when you think about the fact that that Holy Spirit is here and is with us, it, it literally will change everything about you. It, it'll give you an optimism and a hope and a joy like you've never had before. It's a, it's a powerful thing. It's something that you can literally trust in. You can turn to and you can say, man, I'm going I'm to put my faith in this. I'm going to trust in this because after all, the one that's waiting for me is way more powerful than me. He's the one that's that's going to provide everything that I need to be saved. I'll say it like this. When we, when we lived in California, we, we were out, up in the mountains before we had, well, we had kids. They were really little. But we were up in the mountains with some friends. My friend was a big, burly uh, Marine at the time. Had the full-on red beard, like full-on, just looked, looked the part. Big, stacked dude. And we go up on these uh, waterfalls, and we're hiking up these waterfalls, and you could slide down them into, like, pools of water and stuff. And, and I didn't tell Mindy we were doing this. I was like, we're just going to go hiking. She would have freaked out. But, like, uh, so we're, like, sliding and falling into these things. And at one point, there's this raging, like, river that's going by us, and it goes over a cliff down into this pool way down there. And my buddy, my marine buddy, he leaps over this, this river, lands on the other side. And I mean, it was graceful, man. Like, I was like, that dude's a marine. I feel safe. Thank you. Thank you for your service to our country, my friend. And he leaps over, and he gets on the other side, and he turns back to me. And I, I swear it must have been 12 feet of, of, of river right in front of us. It may have been like a foot, but still, it seemed like 12 feet to me because it's just rushing by. And he, he turns back to me, and he says, jump. And I said to him, no. 
because if I, if I, if I jump and I don't make it, I'm going to ruin Mindy's vacation down there. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not young anymore. Um, I, I used to be channel, ch- you know, chiseled granite of a human being, but I'm not that anymore. I'm not limber. I don't know what I'm doing. But I also have a problem like with pleasing people, which was a problem out on the mountain because now I've got a, a problem on my hands. Do I jump and do I leap um, or, or, you know, do I risk my, my friend saying, you got to turn in your man card, dude. You didn't make the jump. You know, like, so I'm struggling and I'm like, jump, I don't want to do it. He goes, jump, I'll catch you. And I said, looking at him, he looks strong. I'm struggling with like, I want this guy to like me because he's cool and he's a Marine and I want to be cool and I wish I could have been a Marine, like, like that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. Tell my buddy, hey, if I don't make it, tell Mindy I love her. And then I go and I, the most graceful um, jump you've ever seen in your life, um, it wasn't, it wasn't graceful at all. In fact, I leapt and, and, and I land on the other side in the arms of my Marine friend. We're cheek down to ankle, cheek to, I mean, bearded cheek down to ankle, and it felt so good. <laughs> it felt so good. And I thought, he's got me. He's got me. You know, and, and I tell you that because God's saying jump, right? Now, I don't think the Holy Spirit is like a bearded m- Marine. I don't think. I haven't gotten that far in my systematics yet, but... But I do know that, that when someone asks you to jump, when someone asks you to leap, someone asks you to throw your faith at something, the person that's waiting on the other side is the kind of person that you want to be strong. And the stronger they are, the more optimism you're going to have that when you leap, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And we're seeing here, and I want you to chew on this with me, because I need to learn this and you need to learn this all over again. The same spirit that descended on these disciples in Acts chapter 2 is the same spirit who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead. And that same spirit is the same spirit that led Mindy and me into Los Angeles to do ministry to people that wanted to take a grip truck from a dude with a machete. The same spirit that gave us the strength to go down into New Orleans and do some ministry to people that just needed to be exposed to the gospel. The same spirit that rose up Summit Crossing. The same spirit that's alive in this room right now. It's the same strength. It's the same power. It's the same one waiting on the other side saying, leap, jump, I've got you. And if you jump, you got to know that the one that's waiting on the other side, not even death was stronger than him. And so because of his strength, because of his power, you realize you can leap with optimism knowing that he's got you. He's got you right now. Optimism. Think about the gospel. Optimism for your past. Look, you can take the leap and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let go of my past. I realize it's full of sinfulness. I don't want to tell anybody what I've done because if they did, they would, they would put up walls around this place and keep me out. Like, no, you can let go of that. You can drop the masks. You can take the leap and go, I'm going to risk telling people this is what I've been through and I needed God's grace. Optimism in the past because when Jesus goes up on the cross, he said, it is done. He didn't say I'm working on it. 
Like, it's done. Do you realize that whatever you walked into the room with today, in your past, whatever sinfulness you dragged into this room with you, what Jesus accomplished on the cross is enough to pay the penalty for that sin so that when God looks at you, he loves you. He looks at you and says, you're my child, my son, my daughter. I know everything that you've done, but optimism that your past has been utterly dealt with so that you have a loving father that wants you right now. Optimism for today. It's not just past, but today. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in this room right now. It's literally alive in you right now. When, whatever you're going to go do today, you know, we're going to get on the road. I'll think about you when we're stopping at Love's and I'm getting like another coffee. Like you'll probably go eat cool food and shoot off fireworks and stuff. It'll be awesome. Whatever you're going to that same spirit is alive in you today, which means whatever you face this week, when the hardship comes, when the storms come, when the suffering comes this week, He is here with you, and you're not alone. Optimism for your future, that whatever we're facing as a country, whatever we're facing as a culture, whatever we're facing as a church, you understand that in the end, Jesus' kingdom is going to come. He will establish his church. Not even the gates of Hades can stand up against it. So what are we worried about? Why are we at each other's necks so much, throats so much? You really think that the cultural issues that face the church in this part of the country right now are going to stop the God that rose Jesus from the dead from accomplishing what he intended to accomplish through you in the church? Listen, we, we have such an amazing confidence and optimism in what God's doing because of the gospel. And so with that kind of optimism, let me just close out by saying this and encouraging you to do a couple things for me. Um, I thought long and hard, what do I want to ask you to do while I'm out of town? First of all, think about me when I'm up in Colorado in the summer. So you can do that. Uh, it'll be nice. I'll think of you too. Um, when the humidity comes back here, that'll be good. Uh, so what I really want y'all to do, though, is the first thing, if, if you think about what God has accomplished for us in the gospel, and you think about that word optimism, I just want you to Relax. I want you to relax. Look, the Christian life doesn't have to be so heavy for you. When Jesus talks, I think it's Matthew 11, don't quote me on that right now, I don't have my notes in front of me, where, where, where he says, my burden is light, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Like You understand that the Christian life isn't marked by a bunch of people who go, I am struggling my best to just get to when I die and get to be with Jesus forever. Like, no, when the, when the disciples got the gospel, they were marked by joy. Even now, in the midst of a fallen, broken society and culture and country and world, and yet they were suffering, they were persecuted, and yet joy followed them everywhere they went. Their burden was light. They had given up that weight of being their own functional saviors. And some of you right now, this is all you need to hear today, is God has given you permission to just drop some of that weight and relax. Relax. I came here this week ahead of my, my trip because I, I love you guys. I want to talk on stage, but I wanted to get with our staff, spend a little bit of time with them and just go, look, relax, relax. We have the gospel. We have God's very presence in our midst. And so some of you, you need to just drop that, that, th- those weights of trying to be your own functional savior. You know, like no matter how hard you try, no matter how much work you do for the church, like you'll never be the one that saves your kids. 
And so you can just relax as a parent and go, you know what, even in my failures as a parent right now, it's okay because God has my kids way more than I could ever imagine. And so you just need to drop that and just be the parent that, you know, maybe messes up every once in a while. You don't need to be the parent that has, like, the blog written about your house and how well you keep it organized. Like, just relax for a moment. Some of you look at your job or you look at how much money you're making or you look at the friends around you. Just relax. Like, you are an image bearer of God saved by the gospel Like you are a prince, you are a princess, you will live forever with him and that life has already begun, his presence is with you right now. So who cares how much money you make, who cares what you do with your friends, like like in the end, in the end just just relax. So that's my my very first thing as your pastor, like just chill, relax. I'm trying to too, Um, it's a little hard when I don't know where my stuff is, but um, somewhere out in the U-Haul universe it exists, but uh. Second thing is rest. Rest. Relax and rest. Um, It's hard to rest when life is just chaos. But it's the summertime right now. It's a good time to rest ahead of the fall. You know that school's coming or you know that work picks up in the fall. Everything picks up in the fall. And so, so take a moment over this next month, maybe while I'm out of town even, just take a moment, just, just rest. And, and some of you say, I don't know how to do that. I, I can relate to that. I went, I went to, and, and saw some, some counselors um, a couple of years ago that do counseling with, with, with pastors all over the country. And I was on a sabbatical and, and struggling with some things. And, and, and for the first eight weeks of my sabbatical, they said, your job is to do nothing but rest. And I said to them, I don't know how. I don't know how to do that. You know, the, these brilliant men that are, are counseling all these, you know, brilliant ministers all over the country. And all they said to me is, here's how you rest. What do you want to go do? What do you want to go do? Go do that. You think the God of the universe is biting his fingernails going like, like uh, if you take a break and you just breathe for a little while and you do something that you want to do right now, my plan for your life and for other people around you is going to be thwarted by your your desire to go rest, they literally told me, just do what you want to do for a little while. Enjoy the grace God has given you. Like, you don't always have to conquer the next battlefield. Like, you understand that, yeah, in the New Testament, there's a lot of battle language, but there's even more language about peace. There's even more language about joy. There's even more language about the fact that everything that is necessary for us to be saved has already been dealt with by our warrior, Jesus, so that you don't have to be the warrior. You can rest. So do what you want to do. And I'll just be honest with you. I, I, I got with one of my very good friends um, earlier in the week. We were doing some church planning stuff with him. My first lunch in downtown Huntsville with him. And he's on a sabbatical. And we were talking to him. And we said, you need to rest. And he said, I don't know how to. I said, do what you want to do. And he said, I don't know what I want to do. I've been in the ebbs and throes of ministry for so long, I don't even know how to have fun anymore. And so here's what I would say is if that's the case, press into your community. Do something you want to do. We went and played top golf the other day with the, with the boys. It was great. And we played Frisbee golf in the morning with Luke Whaley. And I realized playing Frisbee golf with Luke Whaley, how old I am. But other than that, it was a fun day. We just wanted to come and have fun. You know, we'll do quarterly goals with the staff when I get back. For now, rest. Enjoy God's mercy. Enjoy his grace over you. And then when I get back, as we head into the fall, we'll spend some weeks just kind of recalibrating recalibrating ourselves. You guys as a church have come out of a lot of transition. I'm certainly coming out of a lot of transition, but here we are with our past beginning to merge. And we need to start to recalibrate. What does that mean for us 
in our identity here at Summit Crossing over the months to come together. So we'll spend some time doing that. But for now, relax. Rest. We're going to do that. We're going to practice that right now by doing the Lord's Supper with each other, which is something that we do every week. And if you, if you haven't done this before, there's a little thing like this on your seat. And if you open up the top, it goes like this. And on the top, there's a little wafer in there. The wafer represents bread, and I mean that literally. So it's the most tasty bread you'll ever have in your life. This, rep- this represents bread, and the bread represents Jesus' body that needed to be broken for us on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could literally think about receiving the Holy Spirit as a good thing for us. We can have his presence because Jesus' body was broken for us. And so in just a moment, you can take that if you haven't yet, and then if you open up this cup, there's another thing to peel back, and inside that is grape juice, which represents wine. The wine represents Jesus' blood, And Jesus' blood was the the symbol of the new covenant that God was making with us through the gospel. You know what that new covenant was? You get God. You get his presence through what Christ did for you, what Jesus did for you on the cross, through his death, through his resurrection. Now the very presence of God is with you. And so when we drink the new covenant, we're reminded of God's presence. Now here's what I want you to do as I say relax and rest. Some of you need to lay some things just at the altar today. Just take those weights off your shoulder. Maybe God will will reveal something specific to you. Some of you really need to think about how in this next few weeks can I just get into a rhythm of just enjoying God's grace and giving yourself permission today to do that. What we do know is we have evidence everywhere of God's goodness, of his grace, of his mercy to us. We'll even sing a song about it right now just to help you get into that mode of remembering all that God has done for us as we take the bread, as we drink the cup, and we proclaim the good news of Jesus till he comes again. So let me pray for us. So Lord, in the room right now, what I would ask is that you would remind us of your presence, that your very spirit, Holy Spirit, that you would rest on us in a way that illuminates your glory to us, shows us what makes you worthy of our heart's deepest affections. God, you are such a great God that you would send Jesus as a dove, as a lamb, to go and to ultimately make peace for us between you and us. God, that, that, that we, would, we would see that good news and that it would lead us to a place where we long for your presence in our life and then remind us that like fire you have descended on us. You're consuming us. You're, you're, you're taking us in and making us new. And so God, I pray right now that you would move through your spirit in ways that my words can't move. That you would open up our eyes to see your glory. That you would remind us of that evidence of your glory through the gospel of Jesus. And that as we take this bread and we drink this cup and we remember what Christ did for us, that you would be glorified above all things. So we pray this to you, Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.